Yeah, thanks for being here. Sorry, you. So you're like, you're stuck in a in the storm, right? Yeah, my wife might come back. She went to Publix. Um, I can turn my video off. I guess. How do I fucking do it? stop the video? Um, yeah, I mean stuck. I don't know about stuck. That's what I want to say. But it's fucking nice to be near, you know, stuck near the, the ocean. Um, yeah. The, I guess all the uh, the airports in New York are like fucking flooded and water and stuff. Yeah, it really, it, it does feel sort of like the end of the world, right? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, what what do we do at the end of time? I think that's sort of the question we should be asking ourselves. Podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, why not? It's, uh, you know, I never, this is like kind of the official start to the fourth season of this whole thing. And, you know, I've just been sort of reflecting on, podcasting and art and like what are we supposed to be doing right now and it just seems like we're in this moment of an incredible psychic pain and turmoil and you know these very sort of like you know heavy questions on identity and not in like the political sense at all more in just sort of like the the empirical and larger philosophical questions of like being and what it is to just be now so and i know you 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 dive into that a lot you know and it's it's a heavy period you know people are very very traumatized right now it's it's really strange i mean you can see it's all bubbling to the surface and people feel more uh people feel freer to express themselves i feel like especially i mean i'm canadian that's probably why i say sorry so much but especially you know conservatives in the in America seemed to have been given a, I, was, I mean, on the news this morning, they showed the Taliban wearing American uniforms and driving American military vehicles. And I, I mean, I admire their tenacity and uh, I'm old. It seems like it's far worse than what happened at the end of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And the end of the world does seem near. And I was asking my art dealer in Los Angeles this question because I have to make some paintings and for an exhibition and paintings for like art typically in the, in the, you know, the business that I make it in is bought to be sold again. And if there's no future, I was wondering why collectors would buy art. And my art dealer said it's the first time they can actually buy shit because they just like it. And they're buying things that are maybe a little freakier than they normally would. Cause this time it's actually just, for themselves it's not to make a buck yeah yeah no that that actually makes sense i think it's kind of strange like i i feel very conflicted about all of that because on one hand you know with the internet and you know the sort of like digitally mediated world we live in it's easier now to sort of like just say let's let all of the information flow let's just do everything but i think that has sort of like an a binding effect as well i mean it's 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 really hard to say it's it's very strange because on one hand it's like yeah things are technically freer like digital technical images are you know being sold for a lot of money there's a lot of like opportunity but at what point does the kind of like digital panopticon just start to enclose in on us deeper and deeper. And it's funny you say that about the Taliban because 
it's such a strange moment. Yeah, it's like I do like likewise admire the tenacity. I'm not I don't want anything they have to <laughs> offer, but no. <laughs> um they're close. Yeah, it's it's totally strange and you said uh, about conservatism. It's almost like I don't even know if conservatism can really exist. I I don't think there's any I think people are looking to politicize identity because they're not they're too afraid to sort of ask these larger or I guess deeper questions that that are very sort of painful about what it means like the sort of the idiosyncratic ambiguous nature of like our inner experiences. What's your name again? Oh, it's Barrett. <laughs> Sorry Barrett. about that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um. I don't know. It's such a, it's so unwieldy to talk about these things. And I was talking with my wife, Christine, uh, to make, to make paintings right now, or to write a short story about something discreet and personal. I feel like to have my, in my heart, I feel like, how can I not acknowledge what's happening in the world in my work and instead paint my cat? Um, but Acknowledging what's happening in the larger world, I mean, I have no, I'll have no impact on it. I think people would assume it's a given that I, you know, I'm not conservative and I think women should be able to get abortions all the fucking time. And so this question of, do I keep making essentially solipsistic artwork? And or do I, do I say like, hello, I see what's happening out there just like you do. It's a bit confusing. And I feel a, with trauma, I feel, oh, I was reading a book a couple of years ago. I feel like everyone's traumatized. I feel like the experience of being born is like the primary ideology of PTSD or something. And we we live in this culture where now everyone is talking about self-care and trauma and everybody has PTSD and everyone has anxiety. And it's really overwhelming that you said something about what do you want to be on? That's a horrible sound. It's the phone ringing. Um, said something about what do you want to see on the slide projector at the end of the world? And yeah, I kind of want to see the beginning of the world. Like Christine and I went out two nights ago to the ocean when the sun set. And when I go up far enough and I can't see any boats and I can't see any people and I just see the ocean meet the horizon of the sky, I feel like I'm in outer space and that's where I'd like to be. But like, unfortunately I can't always just be floating in the ocean. I have to make money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, tell me about it. It's uh it's, it's kind of a, a weird situation. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I think leave society, uh, the Tao Lin book, it's sort of, I think it's kind of funny because on one hand, you know, it's a book about leaving society, but then mm. through the proliferation of internet, memetics it it becomes sort of like um a fashion statement to almost hold it's like i find it very sort of like strangely poetic that you have like society people holding up this book that's literally about leaving society Mm -hmm. i mean one of the reasons i moved to austin was like to get away from los angeles and the sort of like social constraints because i'm not i'm like politically totally nonpartisan. I, it's strange because on one hand, it's like my only real political commitment is to 
freedom of expression for everybody and all people, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense, and sort of let mm-hmm. like the dualysis of the world sort of calibrate around that. I'm I'm sort of in that sort of mind state. But it's also like at what point does society I just think there are these bigger questions about you know, the way in which we sort of scream into the void, the way in which everything is, because you talk a lot about like things not being poetic or polysemic enough today. And I, I really agree with that. Well, I wish I had something interesting to say. Um, I'm 47. I mean, my parents were, you know, back to the land type hippies. I mean, not my parents, but their generation doing kind of what Tao is suggesting in his book. And they found out that it's hard work there. You have to dig your own water line and grow your own potatoes. And it's really easy to be seduced back into a world of convenience. And I think that I like Tao's book, obviously, and I feel like a lot of people might embrace that idea, but not be willing to do the work that's involved. So I feel like God, I have to remember this is public. Um, I feel like being a drug addict is a way to leave. I've tried to leave society with drugs and make <laughs> yeah, my world really, really small. I want, I made my world, my drug dealer, my apartment and my bank machine. And I didn't know what was happening in the news and I didn't know what was happening in the world. And, it's a putatively negative way to leave society, but um, everyone likes to make gestures. Not a lot of people like to m- make the, mo- the movements that those gestures imply, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I agree with you about freedom of expression. I think uh, when, I was, when I was 12, I moved from an all kind of Afro-Caribbean suburb to an all-white suburb and it was in 1986. I remember my first day of school, these kids came with swastikas on their jackets and things you could never do now. And I'd, Freedom of expression, people don't like what's being expressed like on the right, but I'd prefer to see, I'd prefer that the crackpots be visible. Yeah. I, like seeing, I like seeing what people really think because it helps me to demarcate the world. Um, I find it scarier when everyone keeps their stuff inside their homes. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree. I think um, I did a, I actually did sort of an episode on Christoph Schlingenschief, uh, who's, do you know him? He directed oh. Trash to, uh, Terror 2000. He was kind of this German new, new cinema, sort of almost like Fluxus artist who was really into, like, it was super profane like it, he's ultra liberal, but it, it's like would be offensive to just everybody on all sides because his whole thing is like, why should Germany just not just get to sweep the past 50 years under the rug? You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, why, why does the, why do the Christian Democrats just to just get to pretend like none of this exists? And he mm. was sort of like vilified by, you know, every sort of side of society is this person who is just like a provocateur. But in my mind, it's like, if you're really going to be transgressive, you kind of have to piss off everybody at a certain point, because that's when it's actually meaningful. So he did these sort of really interesting statements that were just, 
um, you know, like he did this thing where he would hold like uh, performances of of people in concentration camps of refugees and have literally people pick out which ones they want to keep and which ones they and turn it into like a sweepstakes. But it was just sort of like a grant, a larger statement on mm. the absurdity of the entire sort of like inhospitable sort of like, let's just sweep all this under the rug environment mm. that had been going on. It's like, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid too, it's like I, I grew up there's like tons of neo-Nazis in my, now it's like sort of faceless authoritarianism that's just, you know, it's just super oppressive and, and it's very, um, it's very, it's very on a micro sort of like atomic scale, I think. Uh, I don't know that filmmaker. Um, I'm super out of touch, which is a way to also be not in the world, I think, but, um, yeah, I remember in my high school, there was a neo-Nazi group called the Western Front, and they did like a... So in my, when I was in high school, around the time that maybe Do the Right Thing came out, the Spike Lee movie, yeah. like most of the black kids in my school, like at the time, they would wear these like leather necklaces that had Afri- shapes of Africa on them, like very like... It was super fashionable and very... Um, embracing of like identity and the skinheads at my high school had this uh, this kind of like a system of what color their shoelaces were meant something like red shoelaces and white shoelaces and so the western front came to my high school protest to say that if these black kids could wear africa medallions that these neo-nazis could wear nazi paraphernalia and I had a shaved head then. I remember my principal called me into the office because she thought I was a skinhead. But I was just, I just liked Fugazi. And um, I remember the, the skinheads, they had this, their, their policy was grow your hair, cover up your tattoos, go to community college and get a job so that you can be inside the system. And that's terrifying. And I mean, from what I've seen, they did that. And, um, so in that way, yeah, I think that I really agree with what you said about transgressive material needing to piss everybody off um, not being articulate. I guess I'm just agreeing with myself again that I like to see what people are really like and I'm more frightened by mm. what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah, um, I, I am too. And it's it's given, I think, people this perception that everything is happening behind closed doors and, and their perception is not incorrect. Like it really is. (laughs) And, but it's just sort of created this increasingly paranoid environment where, because we're all sort of, you know, cognizant, uh, it's just sort of like aware of, of that being happening, but we don't Mm. really know what's going on. It's, it's created this sort of, I think, even more fractured social world that we're living in because it's, it's really easy to blame people when we don't really know what's going on. When, when things are not out in the open, it's, it makes things actually a lot more divisive in many ways. Mm -hmm. And you, and you said something about, you know, wanting to leave society through drugs. Like I definitely uh, have like, tried to feel that way it's like a 
you know, when your world gets really, really small, I just remember like my mattress flipped up. I was like yeah. in a amphetamine psychosis, like, yeah. and this is really embarrassing, but you know, it's like, this was like the day before I went into the program and all of this stuff. And it was just like, yeah. the mattress was flipped up on the side of the wall. Yeah. I was watching my girlfriend's cat while she was out of town and I yeah. called her threatening to kill the cat because I was in psychosis and I love the cat. And yeah. I literally said that and they had, they called the cops on me. Yeah. She didn't even do it. My friends were so worried about me. They called the cops to my house <clears throat> just to check up on me. And mm-hmm. it was like my entire world got so small and I thought I was leaving something behind because it was just, you know, the world is so painful, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're in the program, like you hear, you hear often people in recovery say that their world got bigger. And so, I mean, it's, it's true that our worlds get really, really small. Um, I hate saying this because I sound like an asshole to me, but in the book that I wrote, (laughs) in one of the stories I was talking, I wrote about how, like I lived in Vancouver for a really long time, how when you see like real real career drug addicts, um, they dress like it's the past. They're rocking like members only jackets and crimped hair and um, because they do leave the world and the only televisions that are on in the bars are showing poker and Kino. So I guess the question is how to, how to embrace that motive without hurting yourself and others with drugs. Like what is the analog way to leave the world the way that we do as drug addicts? How can we make it smaller and smaller in a way that's, if not harmful, healthy even? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I think that's sort of what I'm I'm trying to figure out right now. I think um, one thing, and I I discussed this with Dean, with actually Dean Kissick on one episode, was just to turn off all of your phone notifications. I think that's yeah. sort of like to me yeah. that's that's why I didn't get your message because I just I have this no notification policy, and it's it's really helped sort of clarify things. I it's it's really difficult to focus, you know, but at the same time, it's like, cause you talked a little bit about inner child stuff. Like it, and I, mm-hmm. and I, I actually really agree with you on this. Like, I think the sort of new age therapeutic community has this excessive focus on the inner child and getting yeah. in touch with that. But it's like, you said something like, what if I just want to fucking throw it in a dumpster? Like, what if I yeah. don't want to fucking think about it? And I, I a hundred percent agree because memory is so flawed. Like our yeah, nostalgia is so easily fictionalized that yeah. I think actually it's really harmful to sort of like, and and you see this in the program, you see these like sort of like, punk tough guy like fucking people and they're like when i was this and the and i'm just like i just don't i don't understand what this has to do with like anything <laughs> no same i mean 
Well, first I'll say that, yeah, I turn off all the notifications on my phone. I just get iMessage in case someone I care about writes me in. I've written somewhere before that if I could afford to leave Instagram, I would leave Instagram. Uh, but somehow I need it for work. I mean, that's how I met you. I yeah. feel like people are, see, somehow people don't recognize that I have an email address and they could contact me in a different way. Um, but yeah, the inner child thing, I mean, I feel like it just keeps you stuck in mollifying this fucking abstraction from your past. And if anything, you have to try to make it real so you can communicate with it instead of allowing it to dissolve or hammering the shit out of it. And I've done so many different modalities of therapy and most of them have focused in some way or another on talking to little Brad and little Brad's scared right now, but I'm big Brad. I'm here now. And that's funny to say I'm big Brad. Um, and the therapy that I'm doing now and I've done for the last few years, dialectical behavioral therapy is just about managing the symptoms of your trauma and your illness and not going back and, examining how little Brad feels. And um, I learned, someone pointed out to me a while ago that, and it's really been helpful, is that asking why is pointless and unhelpful to me. And it keeps me stuck if I say, why am I like this? And why did that happen to me? And why am I crazy? And why do I love drugs? Instead of just focusing on the fact that I do love drugs and I, do you have these problems and what can I do now in the present to deal with it? And I can spend, I could spend the rest of my life trying to understand why, but why doesn't help me move forward? What helps me move forward is like, what can I do today? And I feel like I've been healthier in the last year or so just simply by stopping asking myself these questions. Yeah, actually that's a that's something a friend of mine brought up who's also a sober person he's he has a sub stack that's kind of like influential right now angelicism oh it's angelicism oh one what's a sub stack though oh it's um it's sort of like a new blog Mm. format where people just sort of like write it's basically like a blog thing and it's just people get notifications it's cool because it sends it straight to your email so you don't have to go to the actual site because i think we should bring email back i think i i I think substack is sort of like this a good way i think writers are are kind of not interfacing as much with social media because i i agree you know you said a lot of stuff like these sort of new accounts these like meme accounts popping up they're they're scary i mean they scare me too i mean like i i i never wanted this to happen which is why (laughs) that's what i say about everything in my life (laughs) well i shouldn't ask why but you know (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean i'm intimidated by those accounts and they make me feel old and, and 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 pathetic but um, so sorry, continue with what you were saying about the person who did start this substack. Oh, oh, just that, you know, being an alcoholic and an addict, I think so much of my life, you know, it's like I'm asking myself personal questions. Why? Yeah. why? Like you said, why did this happen? But as soon as I started looking outwards, it's once you yeah. sort of like explode that distinction between yourself and the question of why... And then you start examining 
this kind of like more cosmic scale of the world, I think that's a pretty good way to sort of leave. It's it's a good exit. It's not a physical exit, but at least it gets you out of your fucking crazy thoughts and the the sort and asking why. I think why is like the most dangerous thing. I yeah, Yeah. nothing good comes out of asking that, especially to yourself. I agree because you know your meetings are you know I can say why am I an addict? Why am I an alcoholic? Doesn't matter. I am one. So do the work. And you can get better, you know, asking myself why it keeps me in a place of like self-pity and self-victimization. And um, it's interesting what you said about looking outward because my sponsor, I, I told him, you know, like I have a difficult idea with that. I have a difficult, I have difficulty with the idea of a higher power as it relates to the program. Although like I believe there has to be something bigger than me. And he said, you know, it's just about turning the lens outward, like, praying in the morning or in the evening. It's just about asking something other than myself what to do with my life. Even if I don't know what it is, it's just that I've spent 47 years asking me, what should I do next? And the results have most often been that my life is in a shambles. So yeah, looking outward, even if you're not, you're not aware of what you're looking at, seems beneficial. And looking outward means not asking why. It means asking, you know, what is out there in the world for me? What can I do? How can I communicate? How can I live in this world the way that I am? Um, it's, it's pretty beautiful. It's it's hard to it's hard to ask questions and to look for support and to inquire about life from something that you can't visualize or articulate. But I try to remind myself that millions and billions of people have been doing it with success for a really long time, and they seem genuinely content. Some of them. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting that you say that because on uh, some of your work, it's it's like God can suck my dick, you know. <laughs> like so I think that's it's kind of funny, and that's I think that's a a pretty good example of a statement that's sort of uh, seen as blasphemous in yeah. a, in, a, in a larger way. And like I'm, I have a lot of friends who are atheists who are like, yeah. I'm sort of. I guess you could say a part of this thing that's like ultra post postmodern in a sense, but I, but I do believe in God. Like I'm not an atheist at all. Um, yeah. Is, are you, would you say you find God? Cause part of the reason how I justified like the program's prescription of God was through like reading Spinoza and what he thought of God, which is basically like God is, is nature. God is the yeah, way yeah. things are intended to be. God is literally seeking, looking outwards at the world. Yeah. And then I got into the, well, she was Jewish, but converted to Catholicism, the phenomenologist Edith Stein. Mm. And then she said, well, that's all true, but like there is some thing beyond the epoch and mm. it's something that's ineffable and indescribable. And I've seen like life is such a strange miracle. It's hard for me to say like there isn't a God or something like that. I don't know. Even if they are stories, you know, even if it's just a story. Yeah. I mean, stories are such a fundamental part of what it means to be alive. And um, the thing that really connects people the most, I think are stories and Mm. maybe music, but um no, I don't have the kind of arrogance required to say I'm an atheist. And 
I do find like what you're saying, you know, I do find God in nature. Um, it's so difficult to talk. When you talk about ineffability, like, you know, lousy where someone says those who speak don't know and those who know don't speak. Or if you can name it, it's not the Tao. If you can describe it, it's not, it's not the thing you're, you're looking to describe. And Christine and I, like this morning, I videotaped my cat in slow motion jumping. And the design of my cat is incredible. It's beautiful. And last two nights ago, when we went to the ocean, we were, we were standing in the water when the sun set. And like thousands of little fish were swimming through our legs. And we were kind of became an obstacle in their, in their moving through the night. And that was so beautiful to me. And things are just so beautiful. We were thinking about, you know, when I look into the ocean towards the horizon, it's overwhelmingly beautiful. It's terrifying how beautiful it is. And then when I look behind me, there's condos and, you know, all the, all the, the artifacts of, of human, of humanity. And I thought, <sighs> I feel like, um, before, before people came and fucked everything up, that was enough to see fish moving through your legs. And I feel like the, the impetus to create art and music and writing is to, to state your objection to the encroaching restrictions of humanity and architecture and the mercantile system or something. Good. I just feel like we're a virus and we fuck things up. And before we came along, everything worked in perfect harmony and we didn't need to ask any of these questions. We were God and we were interacting with God all the time. Yeah. I, I feel a sense of like really painful nostalgia for a life that I could have had instead of the life that I do have, which is I have to pay money to Amazon.com and I have to check for good Wi-Fi. Yeah. No, definitely. It's before this sort of pre-axial ages people just mm. sort of walked around in this intoxicated religious like stupor yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, where yeah. where everything was um y- you know like just deities walked amongst the earth and people were just literally in this absolute blissful days in total harmony with with the gods or goddesses yeah. or, or what whatever have you and i think that um, part of what I was hoping is like we could get beyond this industrial age and start to ask ourselves these really sort of mystifying questions and, and really sort of like, like I, I want to find a way to get to that point. I think the 20th century was a huge mistake. Um, yeah. And I think uh, this philosopher... Uh, Fuck, Bruno Latour, he said something where he basically came to the conclusion, like, what if asking these scientific questions, what if they were just all appeals to authority? What if this was all fucking stupid? Like, what if, yeah. <laughs> like, what <laughs> if this was all just some big, horrific joke and, like, science is really dumb and it just yeah. fucked everything up for us, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point, and. I mean, I don't want to fall into like some naive uh, nostalgia for like the, the 
the perfection of like an Aboriginal society or something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah of course. Fine. Like who knows? But the way that it seems, the way that it appears to me, is that before we came along, there was no want for anything. Everyone was, everything was given. Like there was food, there was water, there were things to make shelter. And if there weren't, then those people died. Yeah. And other, you know, like. <laughs> See, I see how things are now, and I feel like it's good. Like, burn it all down. Like, burn all of this to the fucking ground. We don't deserve it. We ruined it. And maybe in a couple million years, someone else will have another chance. But this didn't work. Like, this experiment failed on a massive scale. Yeah. No, I I agree. I, it's um, it's it it's so obviously a failure. Uh, I think from all sort of sides. And I think it's, so I'm, I'm just sort of like, and it's funny, you talk about a lot of this sort of like post ironic, post sincerity stuff as being scary. Part of me had this idea. It's like, well, if we accelerate this, then maybe we can find some like new world spirit or, you know, it, Oh, sorry about that. But yeah, I was, I was thinking if, um, if we if we can sort of break down all these definitions, then we can start inventing new neologisms and new spirits yeah. and new yeah. like identities and like let's just accelerate it. I became increasingly interested in this idea of just sort of accelerating like postmodernism to the point where it all just sort of blurs together, and maybe that's how people will sort of like re-enchant themselves because I think the biggest, I think the 21st century and the, what, what's beyond this whole thing right now is going to just sort of, I think the big project is one of re-enchantment. Like how do we find re-enchantment? That's, I, I, nice. that's, that's the big question in, in my opinion. I like that word a lot. I like that idea a lot. That's really good. I mean, yeah, like these accounts, whatever, you know, post this and post this. Like we live in a world where we are so oppressed by categories and restrictions and definitions. I agree. This school of thought and this. So why do we want to heap more onto ourselves? I don't need to know about post anything. I just, we're so restricted. Like, why don't we why don't we unencumber ourselves from these things? Why don't we just let it fall apart? I don't need to know that someone thinks that maximalist writing isn't applicable in 2021. I don't care. Just make things that are good. Make, yeah. do, your, do your best. Try to communicate. And I just find it really exhausting. I already feel so fucking oppressed by the society that I have to live in. Every day I have to humiliate myself by paying for this or dealing with that or being photographed here or having to scan this thing there, I want to just be set free of it. And I don't know why people want to heap more restrictions onto themselves. I find it's like really counterintuitive and masochistic. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, it's funny that you say that you're, you're on Instagram because it's how you make money. I mean, same, same story with me. It's kind of weird because in, in closed industrial societies, you know, you had the sort of like factory and the worker and the boss, but now yeah. with social media, everyone's sort of become this entrepreneur, whether they know it or not. Like as soon as you're on social media, like you're a part of the brand egregore. 
Yeah. And it's, and it's very strange because it, it, it like the whole sort of entrepreneurial psyop that they sort of feed you is like, well, you can be a creator, you can be a entrepreneur, you can own your own business, but that, that dialectic turns inward and it's also very enslaving. So it's like you become both master and slave within your own enterprise. And, and it's like becomes more difficult to escape it. Like before you could just be like, well, this factory sucks. Like, fuck this. I'm going to quit this job and go, go to a different factory. But like this new thing is honestly a hundred times worse. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, especially because the thing that's most important is visibility and I can't afford to disappear for a while because someone will come and take my place in the stream. Um, and I do feel enslaved by it. And I feel I was talking to Christine. I thought, you know, no one will come to my funeral because they only know how to contact me on Instagram. <laughs> There's so many people that are apparently my friends. And I thought, but in the end, if I disappear, if I disappear from the feed, then no one will know. That's okay. I don't need a, I'm not going to be there for my funeral, but I do feel really enslaved by social media. When I first joined it, it was much more sincere. And when I saw how it was just me acquiescing material in parts of my life and identity to a corporate entity, it started to feel really gross to me. And, you know, with, with addiction, When I'm using, I feel like a slave. And when I stop, I feel so free. And if I were able to just kind of leave social media, I feel like I would have that same sense of freedom and of all of my time being my own. And it's painful to me that that's not possible right now. And in the past, before Instagram, you know, I had a career, I was successful. And if I wanted to take six months off, that was okay. But now if I do that, you know, so much more, so many more people and so many more ideas just flood in to take my place. So I have to be there like a, like just waving my head above the water to show people that I'm both waving and not drowning or something. Wow. That's, that's a really, God, you know, that's not even something I've ever really thought about. It, it It's true. It's like, because I ask myself this question all the time, but I don't know why it's like never answered for me. It's like, why don't I just take time off? Why don't I just yeah. do this? And I guess subconsciously it's because I know that algorithmically I'll be replaced, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and the way trend cycles move, it's so much faster. I mean, you're in the art world. There was a point when, you know, art was, you know, these cycles, these movements, they would, they would circulate, like it would take a 10 years. Now it's like two fucking months or something like that. And music has always been churning out trend after trend after trend. I come from more of like a music background, but it, now it's like almost every single day. And then it all sort of starts to sound the same. And, and it, (laughs) and it's just so, it's just so strange that you brought that up because I ask myself all the time, I'm like, I really want to take time off. Like this was, this was actually supposed to be my time off and I'm not even fucking taking it. 
Yeah. And and yeah. I'm like, why am I not taking it? And I that had never really been answered for me. It was just more like, let's just accept that, you know, I'm a part of this parasocial experiment. And yeah. I think it's very damning and very I think it's really bad for people who are also interested in getting to the truth of something, you know? Yeah. And I mean, also like with the art or, you know, other creative fields, like we're mostly introverted people, I think, who yeah. are uncomfortable with being crowded all the time. Um, like I, I always have to remember being in our public. You know, with art, I've been doing it for a very long time. I guess just a bit over 20 years. And sometimes I worry that, oh, it's over because I'd only, I was in only one group show one year or something and I got no press. And, but years ago, I realized you can, you can pick up, if you were to pick up like 10 years worth of art form, you'd see the same names for three year cycles and they would kind of vanish. And that's a real thing in art is a sort of three-year career. So you're young and you blow up and then your work's priced too high and your market becomes too small and you disappear again. Um, but what I do see is that if you just manage to keep showing in some respect, you know, you have years that are very fruitful and then you have years, you know, that are more barren, but you're still there. And it is, uh, it's an endurance contest. Yeah. And so that at my age, that I'm still showing my work, and maybe I was not in as many group shows as I once was. Um, it comforts me, and I tell people that I care about who are struggling with similar things. Like you're still here, and that's really what matters. And so, in how it relates to Instagram, it's similar. Like <clears throat> in the arts, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a it's a real endurance contest. It's really just keeping your head above water, no matter what. It's a lot of work. It's really tiring. And that's why when I feel bad for myself um, at my age, I think what we were saying initially, like I want to be able to just fuck off. I want to just live in the country. And a part of me thinks I deserve that. I've worked hard. I've really hustled and struggled and made my best work. And I want to be able to relax. I want to be able to take a vacation. I want to be able to you know, swim in the ocean for, for months on end, but I, I can't, I have to stay. I have to be visible. I can't fuck off. And it's, it's a bit heartbreaking. People always say in art, well, when you're older, you'll finally get it You know, when you're 60 or something. But what if I don't make it to 60? So how do I give myself time to relax now? I find it really challenging. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, there's like some crackling. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I got it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I'm a. No, you don't need to apologize. <laughs> it's, it's, I did this thing with Tao for his book a couple of weeks ago. It's like a live something. Yeah with, yeah. with an audience, and my my plug came out of my laptop. I didn't notice, and my laptop died, and I disappeared in the middle of it. It was really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty. Um, that's pretty poetic, and and kind of that's kind of like a cosmic thing in a weird, I I don't know how to describe that, but no, what you were saying makes a lot of sense because Mm. I think this isn't sort of like a new phenomena. I think, you know, time (laughs) plus consistency equals results in everything we do. It's just 
the only difference now, I think one of the biggest differences, it's there's no longer this demarcation or this way to decouple the person from the work in the same yes. way. And yeah. to me, that's like, sure, like I could sit and work and, you know, as long as I have some separation between me, because like you said, artists are introverted. Like I'm an introverted person. I'm not, I'm not an extrovert. And I think that hurts me in a lot of ways, but I don't really care because that's just my nature. I accept that. Um, But this sort of thing that forces you to have to be an extrovert on top of being consistent. So you're consistent in producing what you produce but you also have to like keep your head above water so people can associate you, the person, which is why yeah. I just fucked off to Texas because I'm like, I don't want people to know, you know, like I don't want attention in real life. I just want to go to yeah. the fucking yeah. store and buy a yeah. loaf of bread and, and yeah. that's it. I mean, not to say I'm like some celebrity or anything in any way. I just like don't even want to run into people. Like, I don't want that baggage. I don't want, like, anybody yeah. telling me about gossip. Like, I just don't want to hear gossip yeah. at all. <laughs> like, Yeah, I agree. I mean, so many times in the last month, people have said to me, that you know, this person, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I never know what anyone's talking about. And I like that. And I agree that, yeah, the cult of personality is so, is so hard. And definitely in the past... I don't know. And I, uh, I want to always be mindful of not being nostalgic about some ideal past because I don't know the yeah. truth of anything, but Same. you know, you could separate, I could separate myself from my work and, you know, I'm not a celebrity either, obviously, but this is a strange thing to even have to talk about at this point, but I was staying on the Lower East Side for a few weeks and, you know, I would go out to buy Chinese food or something and someone would say, Hey, aren't you Brad Phillips from Instagram? And, you know, I am him, obviously, but I like to me, it's so insane that, that I'm someone that people would recognize. Like, it's totally insane to me that I make, I'm a person that makes realist paintings and writes. And why, like, that's so bizarre that I would be someone to be recognized. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me. It's kind of micro celebrity. And I really try my best to avoid doing interviews where I talk about my work or, I participate as little as possible, but enough to appear participatory. And mm. I, I do wish that I could, I could fuck off too. You know, but I feel like who do, who do I think? I feel like I sound like Denzel Washington or something. Like, please, everybody, leave me alone. And I feel like an asshole for saying it, but it is a true thing that I, you know, sometimes out and someone stops me, and then I feel really awkward and vulnerable when I go downstairs to like have a smoke. You know? Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. I I just remember, like, because I was a touring musician for 10 years, and in Europe, one of the bands I played in, I, I played in a lot of bands in, like, Drag City and yeah. stuff. And I just remember, like, we got recognized at two different airports. And we're, yeah. like, you know, guys sleeping on the floor every night, just like throwing yeah. up on ourselves. Like there, there yeah. was like nothing glamorous about yeah. it at all. It was just like a total, yeah. you know, hedonistic 
scumbag lifestyle. Scumbag idiot lifestyle. I mean the the whole thing, and it's funny because people were like, "Oh, it's like drags." It's like, no, we were just total fucking dipshits. Like, just yeah. super childish, politically incorrect humor all the time. Like the whole yeah. thing. And I, yeah. I just found it so funny that people like recognized us at the airport and we were like carrying our instruments in Europe and that happened twice. And I was like, wow, this actually feels cool. Like, yeah. it's like you kind of feel like, well, this is like what the Beatles must have felt like when they fucking got off the airline, you know, and, and yeah, now yeah. it just feels oppressive to be recognized, like like recognition in a in a singular sort of sense of people feeling like they know who you are it just and it's it's ironic too because you have to keep explaining yourself and it's almost the only way to almost distance yourself from this perception of who we are online is to talk about things and really sort of personal uh i guess sort of like the way we're talking now it's almost like this is what helps me sort of clarify the distinction between the branding of everything and all things. It's weird. I mean, the other thing is that if I try to like embrace the like rigorous honesty of Alcoholics Anonymous, then in this conversation, I also like, I like it, you know, to feel recognized, to have someone recognize me feels validating. And then I feel gross for feeling, for having it satisfy my ego. As much as I'm uncomfortable with someone recognizing me on the street, there's a part of me that likes it. And then I want to like address that part because I don't want to feel like that. And I want my work to be enough. I just want my work to be the thing. And so, you know, I'm trying really hard to be so honest in my life and so I try to ask myself, what is it about that experience that makes you feel good? That some person said, hey, you're Brad Phillips. Like, why do I get any kind of endorphin rush from that? I, I wish I could disable whatever it is inside of me that feels like it needs that validation. That's interesting, yeah. I, I it's It's funny that you say that because that's a question of we ask why, like why we... in. Yeah. Why we that's another question. It's like, why is this pleasurable? You know, why is it pleasurable that somebody recognized me on the street? Because I had the sort of opposite thing where I, you know, when I was in ACA or whatever that program is, I was like, why is it that any sort of attention, even positive attention, feels like death by a thousand cuts? Like, why is it, why does it hurt? Why does it actually hurt? Yeah. And I think. Part of it is that, you know, like I, I am the kind of person who believes in, in seeking a higher purpose yeah. and in sort of like transcending our own personal nature to like meet that thing. Because ultimately, you know, I, I, I love Simone Vey. I think she's incredible mm-hmm. and I think she's like a great model for obviously yeah, like yeah. Don't, star, don't starve yourself to death you know kind of thing but but i think that's a good just like like let's dial it down a few uh notches but i think it's good to sort of i think she's a great example of how to live like a rigorously honest true life 
It's true. And yeah. that's really beautiful, you know? I haven't thought about her in a while. I mean, lately, so personal, but it's good to be honest and personal in these public settings sometimes. Um, like lately, I've been more involved in the program and I just feel so much more comfortable around people from the program in this way than other people, you know, that go to an art opening or something, which I never do. Or uh, I was talking to Christine about it. Like, I like, at this point in my life, I just like being around people who are trying to be well, um, who are trying to do their best, who are trying to be honest. <sighs> and for whatever reason, I seem only to be able to find that for the most part in the program. But I also don't want my identity to be about the program. You know, I don't want that to be the biggest part of my life. But I just, you know, like this morning, like I've been having a, a bad couple of days. And this morning, a guy that I've maybe spoken to two times, like sent me a really nice text message who's from the program. And, you know, my other friends, I know I don't hear from them, which isn't to disparage them. I don't write them either. Um, I just feel more support from people who are addicts and I feel more loved and I feel more understood. And so I feel like right now, at least that's good for me to just kind of float around in that world. It feels more honest. Yeah. That that's the same with me. I, I took a really long hiatus from, from the program, you know, during COVID and, you know, I had a lot of resentment. It wasn't just because of COVID. Like I, I was very sort of like AA can suck my dick, like yeah. fuck all One these second. people. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Just do it. No, sorry. Everyone says sorry. Christine also said sorry. We all say sorry when we don't have to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, you took a long break from, from it. Yeah, and I was basically just like, this whole thing can suck my dick. I don't want to think about it. I, I'm, you know, I'm too smart for this. I've read too many books. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't really need to hear like the old, you know, dude who thinks he's a greaser still, you know, oh, talk yeah. about his like you know, waxing poetic about his like glory days or, you know, it's just in this kind of like, I found it almost like too self aggrandizing and it just put me off in a way. And I'm like, Oh, I need something more cosmic. But I think that just the entire structure and the way it's, it sets itself up. I'm finding, you know, it's more than the sum of its parts. It's like, yeah, you can pick apart anything and be like, well, that, shit sucks but of course yeah yeah i mean the thing that's this is getting to be like really specialized conversation but the thing about that because i've been that way too i'm too smart for this is that it says that in the literature of (laughs) you know in the big book of alcoholics anonymous it says there will be people like us who think that we don't self-knowledge and and we'll be able to get us through it and so many times in meetings, you know, someone comes back from a relapse and they say the same thing. They say, oh, you know, I thought I was too smart and I thought I didn't need this. And Well, they ended up in a crack house. And I was talking about it recently. Like, like you, like I've read a ton of books. Um, 
I've looked for the answers in all sorts of places. And, you know, I've read parts of the Bible. I've read this thing and this thing. But the big book of AA is the only book I've ever read where I feel like, fuck, you understand me on page after page, where it feels like I'm getting punched in the stomach, where someone's really talking to me. And in that way, it's like the only spiritual book I've ever read. And I've never felt that with other things, but I identify it over and over, page after page with that book. And it describes also what you did, how you thought you were too smart and you were tired of the old guys. It describes you too. Yeah. No, totally. I, I think it's it's so weird because so much of the time, I think people are looking at sort of like a, a mirror or whatever, you know, it's like we're in this eternal mirror stage where, you know, the signs are right there, but I think people are just sort of like, they want to ignore it. That's why another reason why I don't think people should brush anything under, under the table. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, it's so weird because it's like, I think there's a lot of potential to what we can become and like I said, like, I'm not nostalgic, you know, obviously every period has its, has its faults. And I think that's why people sort of, they seek, you know, sort of traditional solutions to our modern problems, even though so much of the time it's like, we can't really go back to those things. We can only sort of, you know, push them forward. And I think one of the ways we do that is by sort of creating less distinctions and creating sort of new names and new ways of making meaning. And it's, yeah. it's really hard. I think people are, you know, on a lot of times, like I'll like shit talk, you know, trad cat stuff or whatever, or some like online niche traditional community. But at the same time, like I, it makes me feel guilty for doing that because, you know, these are people who, are atomized and alienated and they're, they're in pain, you know? Yeah. And so. Uh, my friend who's in the program would say, think about AA or 12 step program. It's been my experience too, is I look for this. I look for solutions elsewhere. And then ultimately I say, fuck AA is the answer. It's always like a, like a resignation that like, fuck it actually is AA. I have to do the work. And I feel like that. And it's like trad cat means traditional Catholic. Yeah. It's, yeah. but it's, it's, it's almost like these internet things. I think it's very actually, you know, in other episodes we've discussed how, you know, even like it girls or people who are cool are sort of like turning to Catholicism. And, you know, mm -hmm. I consider myself to be, you know, sort of like a heretical Protestant in a way. Like I'm very into a unifying structure of heresy and tradition. I, I like, I want to, I'm more interested in like, how do we unify everything? And so it becomes something different. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm really not like nostalgic for things. So I, I tend to trash things that appear nostalgic in a way. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to do that because like I said, it's like, I'm not imagining, you know, the pain that drives people to want these things because I know why they want them. I know 
because we all want community. We all want to feel like we're a part of something. But it's that same mentality that has me trash AA. You know, it's like it, it's the answer for some people. Like it may not be my answer. Like, it, but I do know that there are things that I've just completely have worked for me. And I've said, this is fucking stupid. And I've just thrown it away. And then I have to go through the process of asking myself why I did that and rebuild my life instead of just finding consistency in ways that matter other than just being consistent on fucking Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that, Thing I'm trying to be really mindful of lately is that being judgmental only ever hurts me. So when you're talking about trashing this thing or this thing, instead of just recognizing that people are in pain and people are suffering and maybe I don't like their expression, but I understand their source of their suffering. And I just like even this morning in a meeting, just trying so hard to not be judgmental, to not be judgmental because that's what keeps me stuck. And there's an interesting corollary between like AA and dialectical behavioral therapy where I try to reprogram my brain. Neuroplasticity, instead of saying, like if I don't work for for a day, I will usually say to, to Christine, you know, I should have worked today. Instead of saying, I wish I had worked today. You know, when I say should, it's a, I'm being judgmental of myself. And, you know, if I see a poster I don't like, I say, fuck, I hate that poster. I try to say I dislike it or I don't enjoy it. Stop being so judgmental and to always be looking for um, what don't I like about something instead of what about this thing can I take that I do like and what connects things instead of what separates things. You know, I'm really, I'm wired to pick apart things and I'm wired to look for what's wrong with something instead of focusing on what can work. And when I focus on what can work, I feel more free. And in terms of like a unifying factor, I've just found that being honest all the time is pretty revolutionary for my mind. And I feel like honesty can be the thing that can help me connect with other people but it requires that everyone else be honest too, which is kind of difficult. How do you, uh, and this might get kind of dark, but I, I do really believe that we're sort of in a melancholia like moment where it's like, uh, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen that movie? Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. But it's like, you have, I, it's like, how do you be honest when you know things are when things are so obviously so fucked up it's like do you lie about it and then you just end up dead in a horse stall you know overdosing on sleeping pills you know the day before you know extinction horizon hits it's it's so strange because i think a lot about the end of the world and that may be a beginning of something else like i just i think you know, the end of the Anthropocene might yield that religious sort of in, indigenous uh, intoxicating lifestyle. Mm. You know, it might engender something new and old because I think the 20th century is sort of like this this really strange time where 
it marked this new demystifying part in social and human life that we had never that may only be sort of like a historical blip like it like what if we do sort of go back obviously you know like the symbols are different the everything's different like we're different i mean it's it's so hard because we're so merged with technology we're so merged with this thing like we really are kind of cyborgs at this point that's true i mean the end of the world is just the end of my world (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean it's corny but i feel like in terms of being honest and what can i do it's just kind of like in my everyday behavior you know my back hurts I say, you know, my back's killing me, but actually it's not that bad. It kind of hurts a bit. I'm trying to elicit sympathy and just being, doing my best to be honest, but not, you know, not like honest, like an asshole to, you know, to insult people for no reason, criticize them. But I just, my experience lately is that being honest, trying not to be judgmental and moving more slowly through things makes me feel better. And when I feel better, I can help other people feel better. And like doing this podcast or you know, making work, uh, trying to be really genuine, really sincere, and trying to be as generous as I can be with other people when it comes to my ideas and how to express them. And, you know, we can only ever do so much as individuals, but I do have a desire to kind of connect with people in a larger sense through my work and through being, through being really earnest about what I make and you know, I can just hope that something good comes from it, but ultimately we're still doing it as the world slides off a cliff. Yeah. But ultimately it's like, does it, does it matter if the world slides off the, off a cliff? That's kind of, and I think that's where religion comes in and the whole idea of salvation. I think, I think part of the issue with, well, well, I think one of the, maybe negative issues with you know atheism is that it 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 assumes that there is no salvation for anybody in this world or anywhere else so then what you do becomes very restrictive you know because there's no there's no hope that um you're going to be forgiven and i think forgiveness in this life and is is really important. I think it's really good for people to sort of be able to recognize that we're, you know, it's like William Blake said, he's like, it's not the people, it's the state that they're in, you know, it's, and our states are constantly changing. They're, they're very, very fluid, you know, we're so complex. And I think ideology is really popular right now. I think that's really, really bad. I don't, I, I think that, is really hindering our ability to to acknowledge how fast things change and within ourselves you know it isn't it doesn't have anything to do with social media i mean obviously it does because we're we're invite we're you know we're informed by our environment and that has a big part of it too but i just think i just think this the ideological battles that people are waging are not helping at all in any way. No, I don't think they're helpful. I, I, I agree that ideology is problematic and 
you know, it keeps everybody at arm's length from each other. And we do, like you said, like we are really fluid and we do move really quickly. And that's why it's so, it feels so oppressive and troubling to have to, have to kind of move through the capitalist system that we live in. Like that's when I feel most oppressed. Like Christine and I were at the airport in, in Newark to come here to Miami and every step of the way, someone wanted something from me. I had to scan something. I had to submit something. I had to humiliate myself, stand in line, be directed one way, be told to go another way, swipe my bank card, um, like you know, tip my hat to Jeff Bezos. And it does feel really unnatural. I guess this is like such a tangential conversation. I don't even know if it makes sense, but no, it um, makes a lot of sense. I just, I feel like we're at odds with our nature. Like the system that we're in is totally antithetical to how we are meant to behave. And that's why everything feels so off. Like there's a sense that something's terribly wrong. Yeah. And so people find, you know, it's an inexplicable sense of wrongness. So we, we supplant it onto other things. It's, you know, it's this, it's my health or it's trauma or it's the television or it's unhealthy food because we need to find somewhere to put all of this suffering. And I think it's just because the suffering is mostly enabled by the fact that we're living in a really unnatural environment. Like I feel like my daily life when I'm out in the world and having to transact with people and buy things and take transportation, it just feels so unnatural. It's like, it's like wearing a, it's like wearing a lobster for a hat or something. It just doesn't right. doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. Lobster for it. That's a, that's funny. I'm just sort of imagining what that looks like right now, but yeah, no, it's, it's really hard because I think ideology has brought and, you know, I think we can trace a lot of this back to Hegel has brought into this idea that, you know, Prometheanism was like sort of like the great, you know, thing to strive for in man was that, you know, man was sort of like the keeper of the flame and we were given this flame and we should advance and progress and, Unfortunately, it's like, look what Soviet communism did. I mean, look at what, look, you, if you look at the sort of ideologies that came out of Hegel, which were, you know, Carl Schmitt and, and Nazi, Nazism and, you know, Soviet and communism and Maoism and all these like very sort of stringent ideologies about, you know, the progression of a certain type of man, whether it's like the proletariat or whether it's like the white race, I think has been extremely harmful. And the way that it's perpetuated science and technology, I mean, these are deep, this is deep technologist stuff. And I, I just think the kind of, you know, nihilistic Nazism and Promethean nihilism of, of, sort of communism of the 20th centuries has promoted this really unhealthy need to elevate um, things like nuclear arms races and and it's become this endless cold war and the cold war has turned inward it's become a part of society it's like we're engaging in a in an arms race amongst ourselves when we log into fucking Instagram and you're like I have to post this thing yeah. so I stay relevant and it becomes sort of like a, a neoliberal, like a capitalist ideology because everything has become capitalism now and, and for I don't want to like 
say, because that's an ideology too. I don't want to get like ideological there and say, well, it's all bad or something's all good, but I just find it, it does feel deeply unnatural. Even the sciences feel deeply unnatural. They don't, it's like, why are we creating this stuff? And it's like, well, because people ask the question in the first place, like science is, is an epistem is epistemologically driven at its get. So it's always going to be affected by, you know, it's in framing and the questions people are asking and what they, what they want, you know, it's a desiring machine. And unfortunately the shit we desire is so wholly bad for us and unnatural. Like, yeah, how do I mean, we... that's, that's the thing is that we, we get these things because we can, that we shouldn't like a lot of what people want is, is inherently not good for them. And like with Soviet communism, sometimes it's frustrating or almost funny to see younger people kind of romanticizing socialism. And I think of my friends who like grew up in Soviet bloc countries and, yeah. um, and then with the arms race, it's like during the cold war, America made so many advances because they were afraid that the Soviets were also doing it. And the Soviets were hapless dipshits. They didn't have the thing going on that America thought. And now, it's 2021 on the news today. I see the Taliban wearing Marine uniforms, driving Hummers and, you know, Putin can blast brown noise into the Cuban embassy and make people sick. So not a whole lot got done for trillions and trillions of dollars. There wasn't a whole lot of progress. And I don't know, like, do you think that, do you think that, that as people, like we have some inherent, desire to be told where to go and what to do and where to stand in line and to be given some sense of order because to me it feels really unnatural like i don't want those things and i don't desire a system to live inside of that helps me move through life but maybe some people really do i don't know i don't know those people yeah it's that's a strange question it it sort of brings up you know uh the eichenwald i mean the the adolf eichen uh, trials that Hannah Arendt, you know, when she was doing her investigation at the trials of Nuremberg and there was this, you know, leader of the Nazi party who, you know, killed millions of people. And she was like, it's actually worse than people think. Like, this isn't a psychopathic person. This is somebody who literally was just looking for meaning through taking orders. This is just an unspectacular dipshit who isn't a sociopath, actually doesn't have an opinion about Jewish people one way or another, is just sort of acting in accordance to the way that person was told because they asked, well, then why did you do that? And he said, because I was afraid if I didn't have somebody to take orders from, then I would live an utterly meaningless life. And I just, to me, I think that's a very harrowing discovery that people exist like that because I don't think that way at all. Yeah, same. It's interesting. Like Martin Amos wrote a book about Stalin called Koba the Dread. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. It's a great book. Like things were fucking bananas in Russia under Stalin. So many more people died. Like when Stalin, when Stalin was in power, people, you know, if you weren't a snitch, then you were doing something wrong. 
So everybody became a snitch out of, you know, total fear. He killed his doctor when his doctor told him that he was going to die. You know, he didn't like that news. And he killed his own sister. And people were living in this, in this crazy, crazy world where everyone was telling on each other. And people were making stuff up if they didn't have anything to tell. And there was just so much fear. But I don't, I don't know if that fear existed before Stalin came along and he activated it or if he activated or if that fear was a result of living under Stalin because it seems like people are really good at taking orders. People are really good at doing terrible things if they're told to do it. And that's kind of frightening to me. Um, maybe I'm naive thinking that I would be different, that I don't need that kind of order. Maybe if, if I was living in a different world. I would be just like everyone else and just do what I was told. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, I think the need for metaphysics, a guiding metaphysics, like Alcoholics Anonymous is one of them. You know, it's like, that's, that's, that's a sort of directive that we take that keeps us from, you know, engaging in the sort of historical evils of the 20th century and, and other centuries as well. I mean, that's, the kind of thing it's like well we say we don't need order but when i've said that in my life you know i end up beneath a flipped mattress in a amphetamine alcohol psychosis where i'm like threatening to kill cats and shit and the cops are being called on me or i end up like uh living out of a van with no engine in an alleyway Uh, you know what i mean so it's almost like i can say like well i don't believe in any order but I think there's a hierarchy of orders and, you know, some things, some of them are good and some of them are oppressive and suck, you know? And and I think the gravitating towards like a positive, more freeing metaphysics is, is a good thing if we have to do that. So that's, that's kind of like where I, where I stand on that. Yeah. And I I do like, I know what I was saying, like I do find comfort in Alcoholics Anonymous there is a very, you know, there's a very genuine structure there and there's things I suggested that I do that I do do them and it does give me, I do feel a sense of comfort in that. So I don't know what that is about myself that needs it. I just, like, the happiest I felt in a long time was just the other night with Christine being in the ocean and mm-hmm. feeling like I was outside of the world. Um, I guess the question is how to elicit that feeling in other places. And I guess that's what I'm always trying to do. What I tried to do with drugs and what I've tried to do with art. That I felt so free when we were in the ocean, looking at the horizon, floating. It gives me a sense of hope that I can find that feeling in other ways because it felt really real. Yeah, that's... I go swim in the lake and just seeing the fish beneath my legs in a crystal clear creek, that's just the happiest I, I can get. You know, that's, you know, the lake, there's like two things that bring me a lot of comfort and that's eating barbecue and, and swimming in lakes. Like that, that to me is like, those are like the objects of total affection and freedom that bring me just like this incredible amount of peace and nostalgia and also staring. I, I I have this very strange meditation practice where I, 
I stare for a long time at, at objects that I'm attracted to or that I have some sort of like deep connection with. Like my meditation is almost, you know, like there is a really specific broken piano at a barbecue restaurant that I'm just very, very drawn to it. I'll just sit there and I'll space out and I'll just look at it for, and this sounds really, really strange to people, but this is, this is kind of my meditation practice. And it sounds good. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm working it out right now because I found that it really helps me and staring at the fish, like looking at turtles, like feeding turtles. That's Mm. something that brings me just like a lot of joy and koi fish and and you know fortunately i live in a place where there's a lot of that where there's a lot of openness where there's a lot of mystery where the sky is really really big i think living in a place with a big sky is really important when you can see the entirety of the sky i think that's really really good it's just i'm I'm not sure if that makes any sense no, it does. It's better to, I mean, I would stay with this, the turtle and not crystal meth. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel it here when we're at the ocean. And I told, my, I told Christine before, you know, whenever we go anywhere into nature, I really can feel my heart rate drop if I like, walk into the forest. Something just happens. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that I'm in nature or that I'm not in the city dealing with the noise and clamor of the city. I don't know if it's the absence of that or if it's the presence of nature, but whatever it is, it really works. And I guess, you know, at my age or at any age, I just really want to be able to figure out how can I move towards that while having to still be online for now. Yeah. Well, I think, I think those are really, I think those are really good practical solutions and they're very exoteric and easily achievable. Um, yeah, it's the, the sort of staying online, but finding those spaces. I mean, I just, when I leave the house, I just don't look at my phone at all. Like I, I just can't do it. I mean, I, I, for text messages, yeah, I will, but I don't, I think that that's just, I think people are going to start to look for more, you know, like a, they say it's like a gentler solution in the program. And that that sounds very, you know, the idea of that is very challenging to my masculinity. And, And it's very hard for me to accept that because of the way that I was raised. Um, so I don't like hearing that word, but staring at being affectionate towards objects or nature or other people, I mean, that, that's, that, that's basically explaining that it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like sometimes it's, everything feels really simple. If I stop being a dick, life is easier. Um, like when I go out, when I go out, I can, you know, I'm often like grumpy or, snap at people or I look for what's wrong instead of what's 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 good and I notice that if I you know if I tell myself or I make a conscious effort to be friendly um, and to not need to like win a fight and to not be right and to not get my way but to just be accepting 
I feel a lot lighter. It feels I feel lighter when I'm nice, um, when I'm not being an asshole. And you know, this guy who I like in meetings was just talking about how if it's, and a lot of stuff sounds corny. The solution maybe is always corny, but if you just kind of like lead with love and always be loving, you're kind of impenetrable. You know, if I'm not judgmental and I'm trying to be loving and trying to help others before myself, it just gets me out of me. And like being in me sometimes feels like the worst place. And that's why pointing the lens outward, like you said, is also really liberating. Mm. I guess just like, it's really just, a, I just really, I feel better when I surrender to reality and through accepting things, just try to be loving and kind to other people. It's really simple, but it's sometimes just really difficult. And that's, you know, that's what you're doing with turtles or, you know, in this conversation, you're being quite positive and you're not gossiping and you're not being negative. You're not shit talking people. You're not being critical. And so I've enjoyed this conversation more than I would if we were talking about, you know, this person wrote this thing and this person wrote this review and this person's mad and this person has drama. It just makes me fucking tired. Yeah, same. I just don't want to know. It's so exhausting. Like I don't give a fuck about what anyone thinks of anyone else. Like just I just want to be free of it at this point in my life. Yeah. And it feels really nice. It just feels nice to be good. Whoever for the four people that are listening to this, just be nice. <laughs> it's surprising a lot more than four people will be <laughs> listening to this. I, I don't take that as an insult at all because when I started this whole thing, I I just assumed, hey, if four people listen to this, I've I've done what I've wanted to do. And now it's like each one gets 2,000 listens. My and God. I, and I'm like, sure. I'm like, really? That's, That's scary. It is. Yeah. I didn't mean to tell you that to scare you. I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, we could... I have no idea how things work, but it's, um, just, but yeah, no, I, I really agree with you that I, I'm more just interested in, in ideas and, and clarity and, and pure ground and how to get to these places because it's, it's be, it's so strange, you know, I really don't, you know, a lot of it hurts me like gossip, like, like I don't want to hear gossip because you know, we're undergoing a major extinction event. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was kind of outsourced my self-deprecation by saying there was only four people listening. And I, I actually don't know what's going on with this podcast. And when I did the, that thing with Tao, the woman who organized it before we started saying, oh, it's exciting. There's going to be a lot of people. And I was like, I don't want to please turn off the thing where I can see the number of people and <laughs> disable the chat. Cause I don't want to know anyone's there. Yeah. Um, but like about kindness and sincerity, I try really hard to be sincere. I think one thing I like about Tao on Instagram is that his comments on his posts make me laugh because he replies to everybody with total sincerity. Um, and I think it's good. And I'm not interested in sincerity as a, as a literary idea. I just mean, I'm trying to be really fucking sincere and listen to people and be honest and, I don't know. It's all corny. No, no. That's amazing. I feel like I'm running out of ideas to say, and I'll repeat myself and sound. No, no, it's great. We can, we can wrap up. I mean, that's, we've gone. Now that I know there's people listening, I want to shut it all down. (laughs)
<laughs> no, no. I mean, I I have no idea. I, I mean, it's like I just see these numbers, and I I have no idea. It could be totally faked. It could just be like bots or something. I like I said, I I really have no clue what's going. I think on. you have an idea. I think you have an idea what's going on. It's okay, man. I kind of do. I don't want to sound like false modest, but I really don't because I I found out like so much of SoundCloud, like when you post something on SoundCloud, there's just like a million bots that flood the thing. And like, mm-hmm. it's also like, I don't know how, how much of it is people pausing it and restarting it or starting from yeah, different yeah. parts. Like I have no information on that. So it could literally be for people listening to something hundreds of, times over and over again i i mean it was it, nice it was nice having this conversation I, yeah. know, I hope that i hope that you said something that was interesting to other people oh i think you definitely did i think people can get a lot out of this and this is kind of the direction i'm hoping everything goes in so thank you so much for for coming on yeah. and, and putting yeah. things in a in a sort of clear and and present setting that sort of note i hope it goes well I'll, list, I'll try to listen to it and then i'll i'll listen to the other episodes after this and i'll be more participatory well yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah thank you so much yeah my pleasure man. okay yeah ha- have a good day and get home safe all right thank you bye yeah.